for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories, scary ghost stories, scary ghost stories. folks, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. Hey, What's man. up? Hey, oh. man. Beat you. Merry Christmas, brother. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. I can't believe it's I can't believe it's already here. I know. Tis the season. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Merry Christmas, and happy holidays to our listeners, and welcome to our annual Christmas special. Mm-hmm. You know, we really wanted to get our listeners something special this year. But if you're anything like me, um anytime there's a wrapped present and it's under the tree early, honestly it's almost impossible for me to wait until Christmas morning oh, to yeah. open it. So, Tyler, I say let's not wait any longer and let's get the show on the road. I agree. So I have been a longtime fan of our special guest today, uh, at least going back to the book that I guess put him on the map, A Trojan Feast. Uh, he's graced many of my favorite podcasts, including Coast to Coast, The Higher Side Chats with Greg Carwood, uh, expanded Perspectives, Mysterious Universe, and he's a regular roundtable guest on Where Did the Road Go? It's going to be extremely tough to stay on track for me today because I've waited so long to pick this guy's brain. He's a prolific writer, a free thinker and teacher, a master musician, and the psychopomp to lead us through today's journey. The one, the only, Mr. Joshua Cutchen. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Hello. As we were talking about earlier, hopefully my voice holds out through the uh, remainder of the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds great. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've got that nice sort of sexy. There it is. Yeah. And your neighbor, Smelt. your neighbor, apparently. You know? <laughs> yeah, we. It's amazing. We actually live fairly close to each other. So. And you're you're uh, in Athens, Georgia, right? Uh, no, I'm currently in uh, sort of East Cobb. It's technically a Marietta oh, okay. address. Okay. Um, but I did leave live uh, right out by Tyler in Decula for a while. Oh, I there think, you go. Yeah. 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 I used to work at a uh, a design studio over in Houston, which is pretty close yep. To, yep. to Decula. Man. Oh, it's it's Hush, yeah. it's Houston? I thought <laughs> it was Houston. Okay. Oh, did you? Yeah. I, I always heard Houston. Oh, well, no. I yeah. mean, that makes sense. I mean, like, you know, it's... It's like uh, you 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 hear these names of these you read these Georgia towns and you're like okay I yeah, think yeah. it's this way but then you get there and it's like oh oh yeah. there's one near Augusta called Martinez but it's spelled Martinez mm, Martinez yeah or, 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 or uh, Villarica Villa uh, yeah Rica. that's a good, that's a good yeah. one well Josh uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for our folks that you know, may only be here for the 80s and 90s nostalgia. I uh, am a classically trained musician, uh, a tuba player. Uh, right now, I pr- predominantly do uh, jazz and, and commercial stuff. Uh, still just play tuba. I play trombone like a talented but very unmotivated sophomore in high school. So <laughs> I'm stick, stick, stick to the tuba. But um, through a combination of hard work and attrition, uh, I'm sort of first call jazz tuba player here in Atlanta. So that's taken a while. Wow, but I finally awesome. got there. Um 
but it's been it's been a long it's been a long road. Um, did my undergraduate yeah. work at the University of Wisconsin. Came down to the University of Georgia on a paid fellowship to play tuba. Had chop problems, which since have alleviated themselves because I just mm. don't spend you know four hours a day practicing. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so I, but I, I was able to complete a master's in music literature at the University of Georgia. Then I got a second master's in journalism. And the idea, the brilliant idea that I had was to do, you know, arts journalism. And I would be super qualified for that. Mm. And, uh, or, you know, arts PR, that sort of thing. And I got a job as the public public affairs director for the School of Music at Uni the University of Georgia. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those situations where you see how the sausage is made and you're like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I want <laughs> right. to or, you know, have the stomach to do this. Um, so I'd always had interest in, in strange and unusual things. And, uh, you know, it was never really frowned upon in my household. The sort of attitude was like, he, he's reading a book on Bigfoot, but at least he's reading a book, you know. Right. So uh, <laughs> I'd always sort of nurse that that interest of mine. And I really got into paranormal podcasts as I was traveling back and forth from Decula to Athens to work there. And I, uh, picked up a book, uh, I got an Amazon gift card from my sister-in-law or something. And I picked up a book, J. Robert Alley's Rinko Sasquatch. And in it, it talks about how, uh, one of the tribes in Alaska believes that if you take food from the, one of their Bigfoot analogs, the bequests, you'd be trapped with the bequest forever. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like mm. Western European fairy folklore, you know? Yeah, it does. Why, yeah. Why, do, why does this tribe along the coast of Alaska have the, same, have the same belief that people in Ireland did? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I thought it'd be something interesting that somebody should look into and write. And I was like, okay, Nick Redfern, like, just write this. Like, right. Just get somebody else to take care of it. And I, was, I sat on that for a couple of months, and I was like, oh, you know, it me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I used my time uh, the summer of, I guess this would have been the summer probably of 20, probably the summer of 2014 uh, to put together a book while I was at the University of Georgia. Because, you know, the summer months for staff, like, really sort of really taper down in terms of how much work there is to be done. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was dishonest, but here I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, at, the t at the same time, I was really getting fed up with uh, – with the university job, you know, there's some great people uh, who are professors have been there and are still there. But, you know, at the same time, there are 60 people who think that what they're doing is the most important thing in the building, you know. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, just, I was just getting fed up with that. And, the, you know, the hour commute didn't help. So um, I basically timed my resignation with... Uh, with the release of a Trojan feast. And then the, and the, and the plan was the plan was to, uh, you know, oh, I'll just write this stuff on the side and I'll continue my, you know, arts journalism career. And I'm pretty sure because I got through a couple of rounds of some interviews at some other places, one in Nashville, actually. And I'm pretty sure like somebody at some point stopped and said, maybe we should actually Google this guy. And they did. And oh, I think no. they saw a Trojan feast. And I was like, OK, bye. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was destiny. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was destiny. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing is like, you find as you grow older that like I don't want to say that things shouldn't be hard because I really value hard work but at the same time like you kind of have to listen to the way that that God and the universe sort of like nudge you to the paths of least resistance like well this oh, yeah. is this mm -hmm. is easy and I enjoy it and I'm even if I don't enjoy it so much I'm I'm really good at it and it's you know so anyway um I quit the university job and was just writing and uh teaching privately in the metro Atlanta area. And then in 2019, we had my twin sons and I decided to just gig and write. And that wasn't exactly a winning combination for a career, but over mm. the past like 18 months, it's like, Oh no, this is actually, 
a sustainable contribution to the household. So um, yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the thumbnail sketch of, of me right now. No, that's, that's awesome. And uh, I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, while we, we haven't necessarily been in that sort of side of the music scene, I don't know if you know, but Woody and I were, you know, touring musicians and I'm a guitar player. Woody's the, was the singer, singer of yeah. the band. And, uh, and so we did that also for, I don't know, maybe 10 years, got signed, did a bunch of tours and and all that stuff. And so, you know, I can totally relate to that. I mean, granted, I wasn't married at the time, so it was a heck of a lot easier, but yeah. yeah. And we didn't have kids too. And, and, you know, even before then, I played clarinet, so I was a woodwind and Mm. uh, Mm. did the whole marching band and symphonic band stuff. And it was a fun time. I always wanted. I always thought brass was so much cooler. I mean, the saxophone gets a lot of attention on the woodwind side. It does. But you know, I, I think I told this story on our show one time in fourth grade. Uh, we were being introduced to musical instruments, and I wanted to play trombone more than anything. And the music teacher that we had, I don't know if she was being mean. I don't know what the deal was, but she was just like, "Your arms are too short for that." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And so I looked around the room and I saw this this guy who was one of my buddies. And he was like a total ladies man. And he's sitting down. He's got a clarinet in his hand and he's surrounded by other girls with clarinets. And I'm like, I'll play that one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so that's how I started playing clarinet. Um but yeah, I mean, I, so, yeah, so, some of us just get forced into this stuff by band directors, you know, or just by yeah. complete circumstance. Like, right. my my thing was I originally wanted to play trombone, and he, my band director needed tuba players. And was like, well, mm. uh, you're 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 uh, an eighth grader who's six foot two, like Jeez. play tuba for me, Jeez. please, you know. So see, uh, Woody's four nine. No, so it was hard. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You can't but make me laugh. I'm gonna call. <laughs> so I mean, I I can certainly relate, I, and I've always sort of admired folks that kind of pursue because you know I don't know that sort of the general music listener who isn't familiar with didn't experience you know, being in in symphonic band or even marching band or anything, the amount of work and dedication and when you start taking classes like music theory and all this stuff that goes into that, it's just it's super in depth. You know, it's 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 amazing mm-hmm. that, that that you did that. It's really well, cool. I look back on some of that stuff, like the marching band stuff especially, and I'm like, how the hell did I pull that off? You know, like yeah, I, I know. just like I don't have the bandwidth for that nowadays. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remembering have, like the coordinates on the field and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, just like, like and just the way that that has to become. Oh man, I mean, you have to think about it, obviously, but it, like has to become you know second nature when you're out mm-hmm. there. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, and that and playing and it just. I mean, it really is in some sense, a, an athletic sport. I mean, I think mm-hmm. people underestimate that. Um, but yeah, and you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively active. I mean, for somebody who doesn't double and play bass, like I'm playing about four dates a month, which with the, with the exception oh. of Oktoberfest and Mardi Gras, where I'm playing like, right. you know, 15 or 16 dates a month, yeah. sometimes three on the same day. Um, it's, it's fun. And, and, and I, you know, I had really gone down the classical route uh, because, you know, again, you're playing tuba, like there's not a ton of other options, but it kind of always yeah. fit me a little bit ill, I think. And then, you know, at one point I was in uh, the marching band was at a competition in Florida and we went to um, the Universal Studios, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, and I picked up the, because, uh, you, you know, he, he was uh, 
compiled, doing compilation CDs of the different bands that played at his different locations. And I picked up the New Orleans one, and I'd never really heard a, a New Orleans oh, cool. style brass band at that point. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to remember this oh, was probably yeah. 2001 or 2000 or something like that. So mm -hmm. if you weren't super online, like it was kind of hard to stumble across stuff back then still. And man, mm -hmm. it was just like I, I heard Rebirth brass band and just like, oh, this is a this is a thing that people do. And, and so that had sort of been tugging at my, the back of my mind for like years and years and years. And then when I started having these chop problems, I talked to the professor at the University of Georgia, David Zirkel, who was just a prince of a human being. And uh, I said, you know, the one thing I never really got to do, because I was thinking everything was over, right? I was like, the one thing I never got to do was do a New Orleans style brass band. And DZ goes, <laughs> do it. He's like, the, the problems that you have right now, no one's going to notice. And if they notice with that genre, they're not going to care. Right. And so, um, you know, taking the yeah. pressure off myself from that, hyper um high stress classical realm mm -hmm. um because you know it, it, you, you yeah. don't have people in the audience waiting for you to f up but you kind of right. do you know yes. when you're playing yeah. like you know you're doing recitals <laughs> yeah. and stuff like and 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 what i do now is not like that and by merit right. of taking that pressure off you know it allows you to do so much more and uh, see we play bars so everybody was well, yeah, like exactly. I play bars now and, you know, I play festivals matter. and I play, you know, stuff like yeah. this. And that's it's just it's so much more fun and rewarding. Yeah. And the style of music is 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 fun and challenging, but an accessible way for me. And there's just so much room for creativity to just get for like, sure. you know, get a bunch of chord changes and be like, OK, walk this. And it's like, OK, <laughs> yeah, I right. guess I'll do right. that. And, you know, you can play to your own strengths and sort of you know work on your weaknesses as you go along. So I'm just, in terms of my musical life, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm also the happiest I've ever been because I'm not a band leader anymore. <laughs> I was a band leader for oh, about four man. or five years. And man, that is for the birds, like trying to herd cats. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, it's so interesting because like with that classical training and everything, and then now it makes a lot of sense too with your, your master's in journalism and stuff. I got to say, I'm going to fanboy out a little bit real quick. You know, Tyler, like he said uh, in the beginning, he has been a fan of yours for years and years and years. And, you know, I, before we started this podcast, I wasn't extremely familiar with a lot of these sort of concepts I'd never even really thought about or heard of high strangeness, didn't know what that meant. And so as we were just talking one day, even before we decided to, do, you know, start a podcast of our own and, and, you know, gosh, we cover a variety of topics, but he had mentioned, you know, the book, uh, Where the Footprints End and in, in kind of explained what that phrase meant. Right. And I thought, man, that's very interesting. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader, so I just bought it and I'm not joking whenever I say I, I couldn't put it down. The concepts, the, the, I'm, I'm very fascinated by folklore in general, especially global folklore. I, I grew up, um, I guess, my not my entire childhood, but up until about eighth grade overseas because of my dad's job. And so being around all those different cultures and stuff, and then now finding out as an adult that so many cultures around the world share so many common tropes and archetypes yeah. and stuff, it, you know, it's just fascinating and and so as this is you know our christmas special and stuff i thought what would be really neat is if we talk about and you guys in where the footprints end that you wrote with timothy renner in i think chapter five you talk about something that really kind of sparked my interest the first time i read it and there's like this little sort of subtopic in there that says christmas time of the wild men 
And if you're down, I would love to kind of visit sort of, you know, the St. Nicholas archetype, Santa Claus, some of the things that people may not know about him, and then some of those, the connective tissue, I guess, with that and, you know, the wild man or the, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, I'd, I'd love to because it's top of mind because uh, I just finished writing something literally yes, uh, day before yesterday on Krampusnacht. Um, nice. And it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's, um, it's just such a, a thick, web of connections mm. and it requires a lot of backtracking and it, it probably would be better served by a conversation than in writing so that sounds <laughs> super fun um after these messages we'll be right back when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y.com these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Yeah, I mean, like for me, the thing is, is, I was just having a conversation with someone about this yesterday. Like, you know, you have an interest in this stuff and you get really enthusiastic and you think that there are, you know, aliens coming from other planets and Bigfoot's a giant monkey and you really get invested in that. And right. then at, I think at some point, one of three things happens. Either you 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 listen to the skeptical arguments and look, a lot of these skeptical arguments are super compelling. Like they are mm-hmm. flat out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. either look at the skeptical arguments and you say, oh, this is bull, or you look at the skeptical arguments and you say, no, I'm going to stay the course and Bigfoot's a monkey and alien, you know, aliens are right. coming from another planet, they're extraterrestrials. Or you take a third, you know, route and you push through the cynicism and getting jaded because I think that anybody who, you know, has a head on their shoulders will get to that point, you know, because they hear so many crazy things. Like I've downloaded schematics for a time travel machine from aliens who seated us in Lemuria and stuff like that, you know. So so if if, if you take that third route, you push through this and you say, well, I don't know what's going on, but something does seem to be going on. Mm -hmm. And the skeptical arguments have some degree of weight. Therefore, what's going on 
doesn't seem to be exactly what the most popular theories are regarding this mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I have to know, thank you. I have to thank yeah. you for that approach just right out of the gate because, you know, it's interesting what I've found now being so extremely interested in this stuff now is that in, we'll just take the Bigfoot community, you know, very, very sort of broad stroke uh, title there. But, you know, in general, what I found is there are a lot of folks that are very hard nosed and very sort of like, well, no, 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 you know, if you, and you could get lost in, in Reddit feeds and, and chats and stuff, but I, I love to read Reddit those. Feeds. Yeah, I love to read those because um, I just like to see what people think. And it's like, you'll see somebody post a question like, you know, Bigfoot and other dimensions, your thoughts. And there is just a battle within that thread. You know, it just doesn't seem in a lot of ways very supportive. It's interesting to me because for a subject that, you know, technically kind of should require an open mind to even kind of talk talk about or like think about and stuff, there's a lot of closed-mindedness in there, you know? And so that's something that right out of the at the gate when I when I read your book, I, I just could appreciate so much is that, you know, sort of sort of like abstract thinking. Yeah. And and then just open minded thinking and and approach to all of these things. And then the, just like you said, this concept of, you know, there's something going on. <laughs> Who knows what right. it is really, but like it's well, awesome, man. And it, and it's it's interesting to me because, you know, I mean, Tim and I okay, I'm I'll speak for myself. I don't want Bigfoot to be something that will never bag and tag, you know what I mean? Right, like I would right. love that. Yeah. I would love that because like I have I have like a list of people in my head that I'm going to call the day that happens <laughs> and be like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of my uh, one of my groomsmen is like at the top of that list. Um but uh but you know, I I think that's that's also where a lot of this impulse to to be so certain comes from. I mean, you know, my mentor Greg Bishop calls it the uh, the certainty fetish and like there's mm. this there's this idea that we have to like you have to have a stance on exactly what this thing is and it's i think some people would be surprised that i to find out that i don't have a stance i mean i yeah i have a suspicion but like i and i've noticed this the people who entertain high strangeness bigfoot are much more accepting of the physical evidence of bigfoot than the physicalist bigfoot are accepting of the eyewitness testimony talking about strangeness, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? 100%. And to me, that's a more that's a more inclusive, comprehensive look at, at what might be going on. I would add a caveat to what you're saying about the online discourse. And I, I, I know that, you know, I mean, well, number one, people are always like so much <laughs> online than they are in real life, you But number two, like I've noticed something that, that having started to spend a little bit more time in the field and starting to like talk to in person with people who uh, who adhere to the flesh and blood hypothesis, um, a lot of them aren't as certain as they present. Right. If that makes any sense. Um, a lot of them, you'll talk to them, even the ones who think that we're dealing with a physical creature, and they'll say it's 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 a real animal and it's probably a primate, but there's something about it that we have not yet grasped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that like seems like a little bit of wiggle room, but like that's a huge, that's a huge gap of wiggle room, you know. Yeah. You know, one of the people that that didn't necessarily uh, feel that way, who is a great guy, so I'm not besmirching him at all. Um, he and I, you know, stood out front of the hotel at this conference that we were at and smoked black and milds together. Like we had some, we had some <laughs> good fellowship. Is uh, is Ken Gerhardt, and um, mm-hmm. you know, Ken is, ascribes to a. <clears throat> Describes to the flesh and blood hypothesis. And, you know, he was making a point that 
Janet and Colin Board, who put together a great big book on Bigfoot, found like only 30 out of a thousand Bigfoot reports included high strangeness. And, you know, so that was his argument for the fact that it, there doesn't seem to be high strangeness with Bigfoot. And I'm like, okay, well, how much of that high strangeness was explained away? Right. You know, oh, they tiptoed backward through their tracks and they brushed out their tracks. <laughs> like, yeah. how, yeah. how, how much high strangeness was explained away? How much was omitted? And then, like, you know, my, my response to that is, okay, well, how many paranormal black bear encounters do you have? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. 30 is is a, is a surprising amount out of 1,000, I think. And you, when you consider that I have heard from people in organizations like the BFRO that there is a waste bin <laughs> for stories that get too weird. I mean, it, it does imply that there's some selective reading here. Yeah, and it's, and I can't remember if it's you or our friend, Tim Renner, Timothy Renner, who was sort of the co-writer on Where the Footprints End with you. But one of the two of you said, or, or has like a term called like weird washing. And I've always loved that. Yeah, that's, that's Tim. And it's, it's, it's a great term. That's a great term. And it, and it really is, it really is apparent once you start digging into these cases, it's like, you know, you'll, on on its face, you know, it'll it'll be it'll sound like the most flesh and blood situation, and then and then you know there will be like a little aside of like yeah he also said that there was this you know uh, this like spirit guide that was telling him where to go and da 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 and it's it's like there's I just wonder how many of those cases that were looked at as strictly flesh and blood you know, we're weird washed and all that stuff is sort of. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's not like anybody was deliberately because you're referencing the Ape King exactly. story. And, yep. and it's it's not like there was a necessarily a covert effort to suppress that. Mm -hmm. But like the fact that I was into Bigfoot for as long as I was and the fact that you hear the Ape King story repeated ad nauseum. And they just decide to leave that stuff out. Yeah, it's right. just, I think it's such a damning detail. And, you know, people, the people who do acknowledge it are like, well, you know, I think that uh, Fred Beck might have gone a little bit strange in his older age, or maybe his son was inserting stuff because, you know, he was dictating to his son who wrote the pamphlet. Mm -hmm. I fought the, uh, the ape men of Mount St. Helens. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, but you're also getting the bulk of what happened from that encounter from that same book. Right. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. like our our Ape Canyon narrative largely comes. I mean, there's some newspaper articles here and there, but like the Ape Canyon narrative largely comes from Fred Be Fred Beck's pamphlet. Yeah. So, like, right. I'm sorry, it's part of the story, dude. Yeah. Like, it just is, yeah. and you can you can say that you think that maybe he was a closet theosophist. I mean, there's certainly indications that he was a spiritualist, but yeah. like, you can say certain things, you can couch it within that, but at the same time, like, this is the way he perceived it. You know. Yeah, and I mean, especially just the fact that, like, the the main reason that they even were where they were, you know, panning for gold is because, you know, he claims that his spirit guide <laughs> yeah. led him there. So A giant white arrow in the sky. Right. It's like, uh, this is something out of, you know, That's this amazing. is something that you'd read out of valet or something, you know? Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you said valet because I've always thought of of you, I mean, you know, he's, he's still with us, but I've always thought of you kind of in that same line of valet in in the idea of like you know he, here's here's the facts here's the stories here's the folklore you know and I'll let you sort of decide how they connect it's sort of a slightly un I mean I don't know if unbiased is the right word but you know it's that sort of abstract way of thinking and I I, I think I think you do that so well I mean especially with like a Trojan feast you know, you said, well, you know, I think someone like Nick Redfern should do it. 
uh, it is weird because it's those those little, you know, abstract, you know, things, those sort of little adjacent things that are tied in with with uh, with the paranormal or the other, I guess, as as uh, Tim also says, uh, Mm -hmm. where it's like these things that, that, yes, these are reoccurring things, but we only think of them as like little adjacent things, not actual, you know, whereas with you, you've sort of compiled all these these things like with, uh, you know, uh, Brimstone to Sea, you know, it's about like the smells, a Trojan Feast, it's about like the, the food offerings left by the other. And I, I, I've always thought that was just absolutely genius. So, Well, I, I appreciate it. And that's sort of been my ethos is to be, like find that one thing that people keep mentioning in passing right, and don't right. explore, you know? Yeah. And like it's, I mean, I don't want to sound too grumpy and spicy. Oh, I um, do it all but, the time. But, but at the same time, like it's 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 kind of a shame that it took like 60 or 70 years for anybody to write something like a Trojan Feast or the Brimstone to Sea. Right. Like, what have you been doing? You know, yeah. What have you been yeah. doing? Yeah. You've been, you've been collecting military radar reports yeah. because you've been approaching this from the assumption that we're dealing with extraterrestrials. I'm like, okay, well, at the same time, you've been alluding to this these recurring smells and like that's that's a hint that's that's a hint exactly you know, the, the food thing is a hint so yeah i i, I appreciate that that's been sort of a, a driving force for what i do i've taken us way off course of our <laughs> initial mandate so maybe it's we should good. get into this no 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 it, yeah. it, it's totally fine yeah i i think in some of the research you know whether it's like the the sinterklaas or the i think i'm maybe saying that right or you know the early like saint nicholas i feel like there's there's so many little there there's like these little details that that are never quite explained but to me it's like if you really start digging i mean especially with with you know saint nicholas it's you know he started out as a you know he became like the bishop uh, of a town and 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 all this and then then it's like oh and by the way he he also thwarted you know a giant uh like tornado <laughs> yeah, yeah. or 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 whatever and and he also resurrected these these three young boys who were killed. And it's like, this dude's a wizard, literally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and so as I'm sure you're aware, like I'm a Christian myself, but mm-hmm. like I I get a I get I'm a weirdo Christian. I'm like a Christian animist, yeah, Christian yeah. mystic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, because a lot of these people try to look at things like saints as strictly historical figures. Right. And I'm like, well, you kind of got to nest them in within almost like a folk hero tradition. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Because they do combat dragons and, you know, um, <laughs> in the case of something like St. Christopher, sometimes have dog heads. Yeah. And like really <laughs> wild stuff like this. And, and you know, once you, once, you, once you sort of start to see that, I think a lot of this makes sense. And like that's, that's the thing with like – Santa Claus specifically is, you know, I'm sure even to this conversation, people will be like, well, all what he's saying is bull about Santa Claus because Santa Claus was based on St. Nicholas. And they're like, you know, open and shut. And I'm like, well, that's like saying Christ, like Christmas is just about Christ's birth. Right. And like, yeah, that's a component of it. And like, that's, that's the official narrative, but like syncretism is a thing, y'all, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. different traditions pull things from other places and, you know, Santa Claus, you've got to sort of differentiate like historical St. Nicholas, although as you just alluded, he's weird too. Oh, yeah. But, um, you've got to differentiate that from from sort of the avatar that we have given him over the years. Right, you know? right. Yeah. I mean, so so like so the things that you hear the most often, which I think are are interesting, I have some problems with it, but the things you hear most often are, you know, Santa Claus as being uh, 
an Odinic figure. Mm-hmm. And I think there's stuff to explore in that regard. But like, you know, you've got eight tiny reindeer and Odin would ride Sleipnir who had eight legs. And Odin was sometimes the leader of the wild hunt. That's, yes. a, bit of a, contentious, that's a bit of a contentious issue amongst folklore, but we won't get into it. Mm-hmm. But Odin was sometimes leader of the wild hunt, which would often, you know, Asgard's Ryan would sometimes travel the landscape at at Yule, you know. Mm. The problem that I have with this interpretation is that sometimes people will say, okay, that's cool. Now let's bring in some, you know, Siberian shamanism. And it's like, wait, 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 these are these are these two regions are really far away. Right. But I have to admit, um, you know, if it's syncretic, it makes sense that uh, you know, we would have drawn on these traditions as well. You know, the combinate the 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 connections between uh between uh, Amanita muscaria, um, um, flyagaric mushrooms, yeah. which you know have that Santa Claus scheme of red and white, mm-hmm. and often appear around the base of of uh, coniferous trees. Yeah. And if you eat them, you you see you're taken to an altered state of consciousness. Which and then people reach into the DMT stuff, which is not quite related. Like Amanita, I hear is not a great reliable high. Most of the time, it's awful. Mm. Uh, that's what Terrence McKenna said. Um, but, well, you know, they'll reach into the DMT tradition and they'll say, well, when you take DMT, you see elves and they give you these language gifts. Yeah, so it's kind go. of pulling that in there too. And I, I think that's all interesting. Um, the thing that the thing that occurred to me with writing Ecology of Souls lately is like, you know, Odin has a lot of different roles, but he's also a psychopomp. Mm-hmm. He also leads this, this he, he and the Valkyries, depending on who dies, when, where, what, mm-hmm. lead the dead to uh to valhalla and uh and you know elves in a lot of these cultures were closely associated with the dead so it's almost like he is overseeing the the dead and the forms of the elves around him yeah yeah i love that i i love the um which i think i've heard you do an amazing terrence mckenna uh impression i don't know if i can i don't know if i can do all your voice voice. let's 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 try hold on um you start to wonder if perhaps the the least <laughs> conservative, uh, the, no, or rather the, the most conservative explanation is that you might have slipped into an ecology of soul. Oh, God. <laughs> that is so good. Even oh, with man. your voice a little raspy. Yeah, I, I, I'd sort of push through, yeah. So good. Uh, yeah, but I, I love the, I mean, I, I do have some problems with it. I feel like, I feel like it may be one of those sort of, you know, hindsight's 2020 and, well, we can we can add all this sort of connective tissue between the the Amanita muscaria and like oh well it's you know that's that's the the color scheme of of Santa and then mm-hmm. you know it growing under the tree so that's like the presence under the tree and shamanic flight you know well, that sort of thing yeah well yeah. and then then it gets I mean if you really dig it gets real weird and it's talking about well they're actually pretty toxic to humans so you know we would feed the reindeer these these mushrooms and then then we would take their urine and then drink that. And then that would, you know, do all the kind of like a a little bit bit of filter, which is why like when you have a talk about like the Santa Claus imagery, I think like you have to address this to get that out of the way because that's the most common pop culture stuff. But I think more specific to our conversation, and this is the stuff that like is unambiguously ironclad, like even non weirdo folklorists believe this is that, Santa Claus is a wild man. Yeah, I love and yeah. once you unpack that, so many other things fall into place. And let me know when you're ready for me to go. No, get into yeah. it. Yeah. Ready. Okay. We will return after these messages.
Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. So, if Santa Claus is an odinic figure, which a lot of people agree, Odin obviously has ties to the natural world, but more specifically, Odin also has an expression in the wild man archetype. The wild man being an uncivilized, uh, feral human who lives at the margins of civilization. And every culture has this. Um, I would argue that um, Bigfoot fits into that, mm -hmm. but you know, every culture has their wild man. You've got the Yeran in China, you've got the Almasti in Russia, you've got certain South American figures whose names I cannot always remember. You've got the uh, the Yowie in Australia, like every culture has a wild man, right? Mm -hmm. Which again puts me, it's more compelling evidence that Bigfoot isn't flesh and blood. But we'll, right. we'll we'll table that for right now. So you've got that connection, but but Odin's expression of the wild man archetype is clear in the figure of the the wood woes or the the wad woes, the woad woes, that wad woad uh, connection specifically referencing Odin and, and the, and the Wadwos was a tall, hairy, mm. basically fairy, um, that lived in, uh, you know, most often sort of England, but the British Isles in general, and you might see that sort of same term elsewhere. And, and wasn't, sorry to interrupt, but wasn't, yeah. um, I don't know where this came from, but wasn't like their early tellings that even Merlin was like covered in hair. Yep. Merlin was, uh, was very chummy with the beasts of yeah, the forest, yeah. and in some versions, he is covered in hair. So maybe, and, maybe uh, we're talking about the same thing. You know? Well, and that's the thing that you know that Tim mentions in footprints is is that uh, you know you can look at the UFO phenomenon as as going from less advanced to more advanced. You know, it's always keeping it's always just a step ahead of us. But the the wild man archetype seems to be reversing. Like a lot of these older wild men were magical, right? Right. Exactly. And then over time, as we've you know sort of amassed our materialist knowledge they've gotten more and more and more and more primitive until you wind up with you know bigfoot as a monkey <laughs> yeah um yeah as, as opposed to like you know the wild man is a a sophisticated magic user capable of speech covered in just so just so happens to be covered in hair you've got that constellation the wad woes um can also be seen as having a certain association with the green man as mm. as odin mm -hmm. does as well Pain. the green man being a, a common yeah we'll get there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the green man being a common uh architectural motif uh, throughout europe uh, if even if you don't think you've seen him you've probably seen a green man somewhere mm -hmm. i was sitting on a, i was sitting in a by a fireplace in a bookshop and i look over to the fireplace and there's a little green man on either side of, of the fireplace a face surrounded in what is called a floriate motif oh. so like um mm -hmm. leaves and flowers mm -hmm. etc and the green man you'll even find in uh, some parts of england that uh the green man was associated with that sort of monkey-like fairy beings. What? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So there's some allusions in parts of England to something called the Green Men's Dance, which was also sometimes referred to as the Dance for the Monkeys. And it was involving wadwoses that were wow. you know, seen as sort of being creatures of the countryside as well. Um, but the Green Man is also tied in to the uh, Greek god Dionysus. Mm -hmm. Uh, because sometimes Dionysus would be shown again with that floriate motif, and you know it's probably starting to sound more familiar to people who've seen Fantasia and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So here's where we break off. See, this is why I'm saying it's like a web of wild man connections right. here. Dionysus would have been associated with some ecstatic hedonistic 
you know, pagan traditions. Mm-hmm. And these sort of traditions would have been, you know, later deemed by the church to be demonic and part of that sort of witchcraft constellation. Right. And the witches would often hang out with uh, satyrs and fawns, you know, the half human, half mm-hmm. uh, goat denizens of the forest. And again, going back to actual modern, current, mainstream folklore belief, mm-hmm. the satyrs and fawns, like Pan, um, are deemed to be a precursor to the wild man archetype more broadly. So again, we okay. see the we see the the hairy man of the woods getting folded back into all this mm-hmm. this thing through Odin and Dionysus and the Wadwos and all these different things really seem to speak to it all being part of the same jumble and the same mess. Um, and of course, you know, the satyrs and fauns sound strikingly like Krampus, right? Right, we've exactly. Got, we've got this Krampus figure, and, and the origins of Krampus are kind of um, are kind of unclear. You know, I think that the earliest Krampus knocked celebrations took place in like the sixth or seventh centuries, and prior to that, it's just like people just sort of shrug and say alpine pagan folklore and sort of move on but um it does seem that there is some connection between krampus and as tim discovered in footprints the perkton Mm -hmm. and the perkton were described almost identically to krampus as being hairy and having these horns and so we can see that you know even though we think we don't think of wild men as having horns and being half goat obviously there's a component there where you say well okay the perkton are also part of this wild man constellation very animalistic very animalistic. Yeah. And uh, the Perkton were the uh, part of the retinue of Frau Perkta, mm-hmm. the Teutonic, probably moon goddess. She was also viewed as sort of a goddess of the of the beasts of the woodlands. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they were part of her, uh, they were part of the, the beings that would follow her around. And uh, Perkta sometimes led the wild hunt. So we've got Santa Claus circling back into this. Yeah. Um, but in addition to the Perkton, Frau Perkta would also travel with these little tiny ghost lights called the Heimchen, which were believed to be the souls of unbaptized children. Yeah. And then that brings in the ghost lights with Bigfoot. Yeah. And then Frau Perkta herself, like I would have, I, I would have never, I don't know what, um, what divine source reached into Timothy Renner's head and like massaged his brain. But <laughs> um, this, the, the Frau Perkta herself ties directly in, uh, Timothy argues, and I would agree with uh, this woman in white tradition exactly. that he's noticed. And I thought he was full of it when he brought it to me. I really did. I'm like, Tim, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? But um, he's found lots of indications, not only in uh, in older folklore of you know wild men with some sort of attending female entity, oftentimes a female in white, but he has also found that in modern Bigfoot sightings too. Either people will see you know, they'll see a Bigfoot at a pond that has a history of having a, a woman in white ghost there right, or, yeah. or, you know, yeah. or it's, 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 it's such a bizarre so connection, but, um, but it's there, you know, Frau Perkta was almost exclusively shown, uh, wearing white and she was oftentimes over, overly tall wow. and her feet, her feet were, you know, shaped like a, a waterfowl's feet, which put me in the mindset of these three-toed Bigfoot tracks. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. And, and you look at all this and you say, okay, so I've got all this stuff mm-hmm. over here, right? I've got all this really compelling, interesting, connective stuff, or it's a big monkey. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Which, is, which to, is kind of yeah. like the skeptic's way of also saying, oh, well, you all didn't see this UFO. It was mass hallucination. It's like, that's just as weird 
you know? Yeah. yeah don't get, don't get me started on that. Like there's so <laughs> many things, there's so many things that like, that we just sort of accept as being right. open and shut. And we really don't know. I mean, like mass hallucination is one of those things. It's like, okay, well, what does that really mean? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Like you're saying that an idea can transmit and cause people to act contrary to their own self-interest or contrary yep. to the interests of the community. Yep. Like what is that? So you're ascribing this degree of power to thought. Right. Yeah. That makes you like a proto magician. I mean, another thing is like people don't realize that, we really don't have a great grasp on exactly how smell works or an ex- a great grasp mm-hmm. on how, or rather why, like we sleep. I mean, yes, we know that there are certain repair processes that are associated with mm-hmm. sleep. We know that we need sleep. Like we understand a lot about sleep, but we don't exactly understand why sleep is the thing that allows us to do that. Right. Yeah. But I love um, it. <laughs> I love it. I, and, and, and that's the thing. I like that a nap I think, every now and then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jeez. I don't get to nap much nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it, there's so much, you know, there's this, uh, there's this great meme that I think about a lot. And it's this guy, um, it's this guy who's hammering nails into the tide as it's rolling out mm. and on the nails, it says language and on the tide, it says, you know, reality. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and like, I, I love Man. that. That's, that's so prescient because like, we just have our consensus reality and language and the ways that we try to understand things, yes, it can prepare us for the way to expect things to go here and there, but it really is just a veneer to keep us sane. Yeah, you know? right. And it's it's that sort of, um, there's like an element of like safety. Like we're going to tell you this and it's going to make you feel safe so you don't ask questions or you don't really look into it because only the scientists know those things. So, you know, it's mass hallucination now you know, go back to your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, my, my favorite example of that is is the the Fatima um, right. example, mm-hmm. you know, the miracle of the sun in 1917. It was like, it was mass hallucination. You're like, okay, well, what about the people 23 miles away? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. The people 23 miles away who were only vaguely aware of, of what was happening in yeah. Fatima. Like, how do you explain that? Like, that's not mass hallucination. Which, by the way... Or, it, or, if, or, or if it is, like, it's, 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 then, you're, then it's straight up magic. I'm sorry. Well, it really yeah, is. Exactly. We, we say on the show all the time, I think there's no greater sort of proof that we are living in a simulation other than, like, the idea of mass hallucination because it's like, okay, we're all online. We're all seeing the same, you know, mirage or whatever. It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, no. Are you guys simulation guys? I mean, not really. We, we just, you know, it's just like all of these things, like, or especially I can speak for myself too. All of these concepts are so interesting. And I love to just think about things like this, you know, simulation or or whatnot. And we've talked about, we did an episode about the simulation theory. And one of the things that I said was, you know, like if you really kind of drill it down, even if you are, because what I find is when people's belief system, whatever it is that they believe, is challenged in any way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. They yeah. become very intense, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think it really is kind of a fear-based thing because if you can sort of challenge one aspect of it, it's almost like a house of cards, yeah. right? They feel like everything just collapses. But what we kind of say on our show and, and kind of my uh, personal approach to everything is sort of like, I like I love to entertain thoughts and ideas and I you know I want to hear about that and kind of research it and so with the simulation theory even if you're just like a hardcore southern you know baptist christian uh, you know from south georgia <laughs> Villarica, <laughs> you know yeah from Villarica. <laughs> you know if I said hey look okay 
maybe think about it in, in this way. Don't think about it in terms of like we're playing a video right. game. But think about it in terms of like, okay, we can agree that, you know, our physical body here is a temporary one and that we are put on earth, like our spirit enters the body and, and you know, we go through these trials and tribulations throughout our life to get to, I mean, you can really turn into a video game. And I don't... I say this too, like I, I never mean any disrespect to anyone's belief system. But if you think about it in terms of, you know, we go through these trials and tribulations through life to get to the quote unquote next level, mm-hmm. you know, level two, the afterlife, whatever that entails is going to be based on our, you know, going through these things on earth. So in a way, yeah, it's not a video game. It's not a computer program, but in a way it kind of is a simulation. We are put here to live in this sort of, uh, physical form mm-hmm. and go through this world that's been created. I mean, so if you kind of look at it in that aspect, do I think that we are in the matrix necessarily? I don't know. You know, I don't, Yeah, I don't know. Well, see, okay. See, so you're taking it the, what I would think is the right way to take it, which is, okay, well maybe it literally is a simulation, but it's much more powerful as a metaphor. Right, you know? right. And, sure. and, and, and I, I can't disagree with that at all. I mean, you've got the Hindu concept of Maya, you've got the Gnosticism traditions, um, all that stuff. It seems very much to point to that. My problem is when people think, well, like, no, you're literally plugged into a computer yeah. at a higher mm-hmm. level of, of reality. I'm like, okay, well, by definition, that higher level of reality is unknowable. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're assuming that that higher that higher reality would be using the same things, would be using the same mechanisms that we're that we're using here in this reality, exactly, like virtual sure. reality. You yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah. you're assuming that like you pop out of this simulation, and if you drop your cup of coffee, it's going to fall to the floor. But like everything is a question mark at that point. Right. Like yes. you know, whatever that that next level of reality is, it kind of anthropomorphizes reality in a way that I don't think is. I think makes a lot of assumptions, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think what Woody was saying, I mean, if it's looked at in like a uh, like a Christian sort of point of view, it's like, you know, well, I mean, it does say we battle not against flesh and blood. Uh, there's several sort of ties with, you know, this life being, uh, you know, but a vapor and the next life or the or heaven is like the important part, you know? So it's like, if you look at it that way, I mean, I guess it could tie into, I mean, I think simulation is, is may not be the most sort of accurate wording just because probably because our, our, in the public zeitgeist, we think of like the matrix and like right, you were saying, right. and, and we're not really necessarily tied into the sort of technological side of it. I don't agree well, with that. It, I think, I think a simulation in its simulation theory at its best suggests that our waking reality is an illusion that does not convey the fundamental nature of what things are. And by things, I mean the world around us, our plant and animal brothers, you know, and ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so in, when it's, whenever it's used as short term, short, shorthand for that, like I'm, I'm fine with it. And it's, it's not like a religious impulse that I have against it. It's more of just like people just assuming like, Again, people who think that like the Matrix is real, like you're going to pop out of this and like, oh, I was an alien all, all along, but you know there are walls and floors right. and like I'm breathing air, and it's like no, at that point all bets are off, you know. Yeah. Although there is, if, if, yeah. Although there is that interesting sort of, uh, and you made a reference to it earlier, is like that there is that interesting 
you know, like the uh, like the DMT or ayahuasca, it's like, you know, they're all seeing the same thing. They're all seeing the hexagrams and the clockwork elves. And it's like, it's like, what is happening there? How, like, are, are they just going to the same place or, or what, you know? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't know, you know, people, people will want to say, people want to throw around the term dimensions. And that's another term that I get like, I get really grumpy old man mm-hmm. about because it's like, it's just trying to make something sound sciencey that just isn't because we don't have a real grasp on it. And people think of like, people think of dimensions as like a place that you go. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not, if you've read Flatland, like that's not what's being described. Like it's, it's, it's here and it's part of what it's, it's part of this base reality, but it's just something that we can't perceive you know, but the idea of like you pop into it and it's like a, a desert landscape with, you know, buttes and mesas everywhere <laughs> and like the sky is purple. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's really cool synth wave playing. In the <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But that's the way people think of it. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and when you think of it that way, you might as well just be saying Tiernanog. Right. You, know, you might as well be mm-hmm. saying Middle Earth or Oz or Fairyland or any number of these terms that we've come up with over the years. I'm so glad you said that because I've. I've often had the thought that I mean I don't I don't know that it feels exactly the same because like the DMT trips you know they talk about like all these crazy like hex patterns like going in and out everywhere but like I I do kind of like the idea that when these people are going on these these trips or these adventures they're basically going to the same place that the people that were abducted by fairies went you know I mean 100% I mean that's <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you've had a chance to pick up ecology of souls and mythology of death and the paranormal yet. I mean, that's that's sort of the, one of the main overarching uh, theses. There are several, but one of the overarching theses of my latest book, Ecology of Souls, mm-hmm. the two-parter, is that like you know, contact is contact is contact, right? And uh, and you know, people will look at and, and like this is again, this is something that everybody's been hinting at, but I don't feel like anybody's really taken to the next level is. Now, Kenneth Ring comes out in the 90s and says, oh, look, these near-death experiences look like alien abductions. And right. even before that, in the 80s, Eddie Bullard, uh, somebody who does not get nearly enough attention, I don't think, in the ufological community, mm-hmm. um, comes out and says, hey, look, these alien abductions look a lot like you know shamanic initiation. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, if you peel it back, you can start to see that a lot of these look like trips to fairyland, and uh, yeah. a lot of them look like that altered state of consciousness. So it seems to be if not the the same place, and you know, you can say dimension, you can say other world, you can say afterlife, whatever you want to, but like, if it's not the same place, it's definitely of the same character. Mm-hmm. You know? and, um, and I think is, we can, yeah. we can also come to the conclusion that all this stuff kind of points to, we don't know where this place is, but there is, there also is a place <laughs> that's different yes, right, than yes. here, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, people will be like, okay, well, what happens when I, when I'm, you know, not taken to another place, but I see a UFO in the sky. I'm like, well, you know, the ultra terrestrials or whatever you want to call them are, you know, smoking DMT in their college dorm room <laughs> on the other <laughs> side and they're popping in over here. Oh, know? that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, <laughs> you know, I mean, because you hear, you hear these stories and like, man, like somebody could write a book on like surprised entities. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh you yeah. Read, you hear yeah. these stories. And even if you're just a casual listener, a casual reader, like, Man, these things are almost always taken by surprise. Not almost always, but like I'd say a solid half of them at least. Like mm-hmm. these stories will say it looked at me and it looked as surprised as I was, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what is 
is there something in that? Like, what does that reveal? You know? Oh, I love mm-hmm. that stuff. And okay, so this is where I'm going to kind of fanboy a little bit uh, because I've listened to you for years on podcast and, and your books and huge fan. But I've always been curious at uh, sort of what you thought about these topics. So I'm going to throw out some, some phrases or, or names. Uh, the Harlequin Entity the hexagonal patterns in harlequins and gestures, and that also tying to Clockwork Elves, the Pied Piper of Hamelin, maybe even Men in Black and Sam the Sandown Clown. How do you think all those tie together? Well, <laughs> you know, if I'm following if I'm following YouTube norms right now, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's all the Nephilim, you know. And Oh, I haven't seen know, that. Like, oh, yeah, no, there's this, and I don't know what it's scripturally based on, I'm sure, there's some gymnastics involved. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that it's not the Nephilim, but there's some indication somewhere that the Nephilim had faces comparable to clowns. What? Um, I don't know. I can't even imagine. Again, obviously, you can tell I haven't dug into this, so maybe that's my problem. But, like, I can't imagine a context for, you know, the 3000 BC Levant, them talking about clowns, but right. whatever, you know. But... There's some people who would say that, you know, with Sam the Sandown Clown and the Harlequin God, and stuff. I love it. Um, it's such a great story. Oh yeah, Sam the Sandown Clown is just was is one of my absolute favorites, and you know, me too. Man. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but um, the girl who was involved, her father was a repeater. Um, yeah, yeah. That yeah. we we have an episode on it, and to hear more, listen to that would be Rad Season One, Episode Seven, Sam the Sandown Clown. Every podcast that I've listened to where they go into it. They kind of leave this part out, but it's like he he had some yeah. like pretty serious UFO type. Yeah, you know, one moments. of which I think was like an aquatic um, uh, craft, right? Yeah, it was like, like in the water. Down and went into the, and he saw like yep. the red lights yep. from above or something. Yeah, and he had a UFO that followed him on the way to town one day, one night, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, there's that context that that often gets missing. And then there's you know my friend Greg Bishop who who loves. Uh, a lot of Native American culture in general always, you know, he's always on the lookout for Hopi kachinas in UFO stories. So he's like, that looks like a kachina and Pascagoula looks kind of like a kachina. Yeah, Um, that's right. So I think it's part of it too. The Harlequin thing specifically, to this day, one of the most chilling stories were... Dude, me too. The the, the Dan Mitchell stuff. Yeah, the Dan Mitchell, the Jason Offit wrote from from The Shadows. And, you know... That, That is the... The one story, and I've said this on the show, we did a whole episode on, on this. To hear more, listen to that would be Rad Season 1, Episode 8, Night of the Harlequin. Which actually followed Sam the Sandown Clown because we, we, it was that weird synchronistic mm-hmm. sort of connection to it. But that story, there's something about that that when I read, I read it, you know, years ago, I guess it was 2007 or 8 or 9 or something, but when I ever since I first read it, it was like there was something that resonated so strongly with me that I, I felt like there's something in this story that my mind has like, has blanked out, has sort of erased. You know what I mean? Well, it just feels so primal. Like the image yeah. of seeing that just feels so absolutely primal. And But like also the way that it's described is just so unsettling. Yeah, like, yeah. And the tooth fairy, I'm the tooth fairy. It's interesting that... We have this problem mm-hmm. where we, where we want to, where we think really binary about these stories, right? Like either every word the person says is true, or it never happened, you know. And it's right. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> you know, like well, it's it's. I'm glad you said that because I, that's that's a perfect example of of me not believing the whole story. Like I think 
I thought the first one, you know, where he was a child, I, I, I kind of bought that story. And then the second one, when he was a little bit older and there was that like, it was like dressed like a woman and it was like walking weird, which, you know, whatever. But then there was, I think there was like a third blog post where he was like sitting on a park bench and he could tell that it was like behind him. And it was like speaking to him like telepathically. To me, it felt like, well, that sort of went off the rails maybe. Yeah, and and you know this is something that you see a lot of times in uh, in the contactee literature, especially like mm-hmm. if you're a fan of UFOs, you run into the contactee stuff, and you're like, I don't know what the heck to do with this because it's so it gets so silly. But injured injured cold is a perfect one. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm you know I'm thinking about like you know people that we generally regard as as frauds, like George Adamski, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and and at the same time, if if you study some of the stuff that George P. Hansen talks about in The Trickster and the Paranormal, which is a great book, even though it's kind of hard to read, these things seem to have a self-negating effect. They want to never be believed. They, they never want to be too believable, right? You've got the Herbert right. Shermer abduction in Nebraska where the aliens told them, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. You know, you've got all these poltergeist cases. That's, <laughs> oh, wow. These poltergeist cases that start out seeming genuine, and then when they right. get asked to sort of provide proof, that's when the fakery starts to creep in. You know, you've got mm. um, you've got these shamanic healings that people do, um, where obviously there's fraud and sleight of hand involved, but mm-hmm. the people get better afterwards. So, like, trying right. to figure out where fraud ends and, and truth begins, I think, is kind of a fool's errand, and I think it's sort of, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for liars and hoaxers, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well... I think that I think that we have this false distinction between the power of imagination and what reality really is. I think it's very much a blurred line. And things like placebo and nocebo effects certainly seem to speak to that. Right. But let's get yep. back to the Harlequin because I've got some great, yep. I've got some great Harlequin stuff to drop on you. So, oh, so God, I love it. Tonight's program has been brought to you by. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. So neither of y'all have read Ecology of Souls yet, right? No, not uh, yet. It's I, on my Christmas no, list, I, I mean, along with... This, this is not, no, this is not me lecturing you. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not repeating something you've already heard. So I was astounded to find this, this, this connection out. There is an old... Um, sort of English, but also Germanic because all the characters in there are Germanic. So it's kind of a little bit confusing as to where that you draw that line. But mm-hmm. um, this old legend of this character called King Herla, um, who goes, oh, yeah. who goes into the mountain and parlays yep. with the dwarfen King. And he comes out and he, he finds out, I think uh, it's either the dog or someone gets off horseback. Either way, they turn to dust. And, and there's the realization that a ton of time has passed. And this might be one of the earliest examples that we have of missing time in conjunction with the fairies. Oh. And this idea of, you know, you get out and once you, once you touch the ground, then you crumble into dust. So Herla, right. Herla is, you know, is, has to stay on horseback for the remainder of his days. Um, 
Uh, wow, that's amazing. Well, Her- Herla is, is closely associated with King Arthur as well. And, and because of this, this idea that he has to stay on horseback for the remainder of his days, Herla becomes one of the characters like Arthur who leads the wild hunt, also like Odin, mm-hmm. right? Right. But um, one of the earliest historical indications of the wild hunt said that it was the Herla Thing's army, hmm. which obviously ties into Herla. And Herla Thing is you can you can sort of trace the evolution of that of that term. You can also hear the wild hunt called as the Misne de Heliquin. And mm-hmm. because the wild hunt was oftentimes thought to be comp- comprised of, you know, the sinful dead, they mm-hmm. sort of morphed into demons because sinful dead and demons are a distinction again that that we have made. Like a lot of times those two things often conflated and mixed and, you know. And it's also that sort of debaucherous <laughs> parade right kind of right you know the idea that like you if you die you know you might sort of become a demon like if you were if a if a person was executed at a crossroads it would start out as the malicious ghost of that you know that that criminal mm, right and then over time memory would be lost and it would just become like a demon of mm. the landscape of the crossroads right so you've got this association between the wild hunt and demons which starts to pick up again always associated with this alicino uh herla thing herlapping this sort of uh, these similar words, mm-hmm. and Dante um, picks up the term Arlecchino and works it into the Divine Comedy as one of the the demons in hell. And because oh, yeah. demons are tricksters, yeah, that evolves in the Commedia dell'arte Harlequin, yeah. right? But the most fascinating thing about all this, um, and also Harlequin, some people have drawn some connections between that and the uh, the Earl King. Errol Koenig. Right. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the Elfin King that sort of takes people. But this is the thing that I think really blew my mind is that that initial uh, historical account of the Wild Hunt led by the, the, the Heliquin was recorded by a man who named himself as Val, Valshalin. And there is a professor of medieval history, uh, Nancy Cassiola, who believes very much so that this is an attempt to describe the leader of the wild hunt as a reflection of the witness so Mm. it's almost like hinting at and this is an idea that i've resisted for so long and with ecology of souls i'm like look let's just entertain it because if i don't like an idea that means i should look into it right that's my attitude yeah um the idea that a lot of these phenomena are self-generated you know yeah um and and not that doesn't mean that they're not real and it doesn't mean that they're not um they don't. They can't act on the physical world. It doesn't mean it's a hallucination. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying that something within us actually sometimes generates these exteriorized phenomena. And that, so that, that would, that would certainly saying, be consistent with like the Dan Mitchell stuff, right? You know, it's a, an aspect of himself coming back to right. This. So, so are you saying this like a tulpa, almost like uh, almost in the in the way of like a tulpa or like egregore type thing? Not quite. And this is this is the reason that ecology of souls turned into two giant books. Right. Um, you know, a third, and an ex- and, and a, a third, and a, right? and a companion just for the end notes and bibliography because <laughs> it's it's a third the length of the Bible. Wowzer! It's it's for me. It seems more tied into these older ideas of polypsychism. Uh, these ideas mm-hmm. that you know nowadays we think that we like it's your body and your and your soul, and you die and your soul goes to heaven or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's cl- cut and dry. Um, but a lot of these older traditions, especially the Egyptians and the Norse, thought that we had multiple parts of ourselves. Right. I mean, even you can go back to the Greeks and they, they believe similar things. And even today, we kind of entertain that, right? Like, my head says this, but my heart says this, you know? Right. And any one of those souls um, 
could sort of wander at will and detach itself, oftentimes in trance states or anytime your consciousness is altered. So sleep, trance, when you're near death, like that's when you're, a part of you would sort of go out and do its own thing, which is... Which seems, I guess yeah. some could argue almost like a daemon type. Yeah, it's, it's very closely related really to the daemon thing. It's also very closely related to the doppelganger stuff, right? You know, the, the idea of oh, seeing yeah. the doppelganger, the reason... From what I can infer, the reason that seeing your doppelganger is so dangerous is not because like something about actually seeing your doppelganger is dangerous. It, the doppelganger is more like a symptom of the fact that the bond between your body and your soul has been loosened. So it's oh. it's it's not like it causes your death. It's more of a, right. a sign that you are nearing death in some capacity. Oh gosh. Yeah, I, I I've I've thought about. It's so funny that you brought up doppelganger because I I literally told Woody last week I was doing some research into something totally apart from what we're talking about or have been talking about. And I just saw that, I guess, doppelganger means like double goer or double walker, which is pretty fascinating. And there really is, there's so many ways that you can look at that. It's like, okay, well, is it a, some type of multiverse thing? Are you just viewing it? Is it maybe tied into like a thought form or like a, there's so many avenues that, that you could go with that. There, re- there really are. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things. There are so many different sort of avenues that I could have taken with this book, but I'm sitting here looking at 260,000 words, and I'm like, that'll Jeez. need to, you know, I, I didn't even address time in the book. But, uh, but yeah, that's one of those things. Um, Part four. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> hell no. I never want to write anything this long again. If, for, for, for no other reason than the fact that, like, it's, it's, it's a it's a pain in the to proofread. I mean, like, good Lord. Oh, yeah. you, know, you, you can get through a shorter book like five times in the amount of time it takes <laughs> to go through it once. But yeah, it, it's you hear these stories in the UFO contactee literature, UFO abduction literature too, where the aliens will say these weird things like, you know, it's the me within thee. You and I are one. You know, we are one with the one that is all. You hear these, these things over and over again. And yeah. I think it might it might indicate that some aspect of this is is ourself. I mean, you know, one of the hmm. one of the most interesting things is that you know a lot of times these people have these extraterrestrial handlers, like you know the drones will be doing their own thing, and there'll be a taller entity um, right. helping yeah. out. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, the taller entity will use the pronoun "we," and the assumption is always like the "we" means like me and the other aliens, right? But like, what if "we" means like no? Me and you, we are we are the same thing, you know. The abductee and the, and the handler are the oh, same thing. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 really wild. And then you look at like you know the number of this is by no means a hard and fast rule, but the number of these extraterrestrial handlers who are the opposite sex of of the abductee now almost says about. that it's like like the 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 divine feminine, or you know, in the case of female abductees, the divine masculine. It just seems like right. there's always an opposite there's always an opposition there in terms of gender, which I think is really interesting too. So I hate this idea. (laughs) Like I hate this idea that like (laughs) that these things are somehow coming from inside me, but at the same time, like I don't think that really makes it all that less miraculous, you know? Right. Yeah. I I mean, and I think, I guess like the classic term of, or the sort of view of like the, the daemon was like, I guess is would that be the thing that's like your your true self, you know, your your true essence, and then it's sort of controlling you, I guess? Right. Well, it, it's very much related to, you know, these sort of higher self ideas that, right. and, and, you know, the Greeks might have called it also the, the Eidolon or something like that. You know, the Theosophists mm-hmm. came along and called it the higher self, and 
that kind of ties in back around to the simulation theory idea. You know, the idea exactly. that um, that uh, we are video game avatars, and our higher yeah. self is the one actually, you know, uh, trying to get us to do things. Uh, it's an interesting idea. You know, it's it's it is and will forever be completely unfalsifiable. But yeah. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of the collective unconscious stuff, which, you know, people will get really upset about when you suggest that all this stuff is an expression of that because they want their big monkeys and they want their extraterrestrials, yeah. you know? And I'm like, I, I totally resonate with that, folks. Like, I really do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, we're trying to get to answers. We're not trying to get to, to pet theories. Um, it, it's an interesting way to explain how throughout the world and throughout time, we've had similar archetypes yeah. in folklore and stuff, you know, if they are projections of ourself. And then if some of those projections or pieces of us are, you know, what we would consider now extraterrestrial or, or whatever, it kind of helps to potentially explain that it isn't aliens, that it isn't, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't know. It's just really right. interesting. No, no, I've I mean, never heard of that. I like what you're saying because, like, we think of the collective unconscious as something that's shared between us. But what mm-hmm. you're saying here is that, like, the collective unconscious is just the out-of-the-box software that you come with. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Yeah, its own thing. So it's yeah. not really inter interconnected. It's just like what we're all, what, what you know, it's just built into each of us individually. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it too. Yeah, you know, you get these entities that like seem to know more about you than than you know. You know, right. it's like well, that kind of handily explains that too. It's something that has access to your subconscious and all those things because it's an expression of you. There's there's a really interesting story. Um, I kind of played just just a little bit with the idea that the men in black are an aspect of of investigators. And that it's mm-hmm. a part of themselves that is saying, "Hey, you need to stop investigating UFOs because it's it's bad for your health." Oh, and there's an wow. interesting story of the uh, the Frick brothers, um, who are sort of a they're, they're they're a fixture of of a lot of the Mothman festivities around Point Pleasant. And one of the things that they do is they dress up as Men in Black, and they've appeared as you know they're investigators themselves, but they've also appeared as Men in Black in some documentaries and stuff as stand-ins. And um, there's a story that comes from Brent Raines's, um John Keel book, which is a great book itself, where he mentions the Frick brothers um, learning that there were two men in black seen in their neighborhood. And oh, wow. a neighbor thought that it was the Frick brothers and then learned that it wasn't, <laughs> but then learned from another neighbor, I think, I think this is the way the story goes, learned from another neighbor that the men in black were telling people that they were the Frick brothers. <laughs> Right. So it's like, is this, is, you know, are the men in black telling the truth? And this is like an aspect of themselves that's, you know, out, out wandering around, you know? Or is it that eternal sort of trickster entity just, just using another, you know, right. visual? Right. And know? that's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, um you know, I've said unfalsifiability once. So if you're playing the unfalsifiability game, take a shot, I guess. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right. There is that, it sort of reminds me of the way that, like, we will probably I, I I feel fairly confident that we're going to be able to to eventually prove a lot of things that have often gotten folded into to magic, right? And I'm talking about things mm-hmm. like you know, psi, clairvoyance, telepathy. Like I think these things have sort of the framework around them where we can get pretty close to saying, yeah, these things are objectively real. But like when you get into like the part of magic that deals with spirits, I think that's always going to remain unfalsifiable because you're never going to be able to tell whether or not, you know, it, it is an aspect of yourself in a much more mundane sense. Like, you know, it's because, you know, from the one hand, like, oh, a spirit told me that this is, you know, this is that you needed me to come help you versus mm-hmm. like, oh, no, my own consciousness 
reached right. out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's kind of going to be like that. Um, well, and I, I love what you're saying. And, and we've we've kind of, I think, sort of loosely touched on that, too. It's almost like with all of this stuff, there's it's almost like there's this sort of cosmic protocol that, like, you're going to get real close to figuring it out. It's like the, the Patterson-Gimlin f- film. Nobody knows where that footage is. Or, you know, all these these sort of any sort of like evidence it's like oh well no the you know the fbi came and they they took the buckwheat pancakes or it's like it's there's this sort of protocol or these rules that like that we're never really meant to fully figure out these things you know yeah it 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 it, it's almost like the the ph (laughs) the ph level if you've ever had an aquarium and you have to like yeah i have yeah. yeah it's like the ph of belief has to be maintained just so where there's enough room for there yeah. to be disbelief for this stuff to happen. Right. And, and again, like you, you talk to, you, you have these conversations with a normie and you're like, this is all really convenient. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I get that it sounds really yeah. convenient, but like we, we're trying to square this with the fact that, you know, you've talked to these people, like people have genuine things happen to them that, and they don't seem to be, you know, mentally ill and they don't seem to be lying. So like, what do you do mm-hmm. with that? You've got to try to do something with it. And you wind up with these sort of extremely convenient answers. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fascinating. One topic that we, we had an episode a while back that we covered this. Have you heard of this like AI entity called Loeb? L-O-A-B? I've seen a little bit about it and I, I haven't. Um... To hear more, listen to That Would Be Rad, season two, episode 55. Loeb. The first AI cryptid, Tulpa, or terrifying art demon. It's this super cool thing, and it, basically, this this artist, I, I think it was in London or somewhere in the UK, they put in these prompts, these sort of prompts that had nothing to do with what the final outcome was. And so, you know, she put in like Brando, and then there's like a way to do, you know, like the AI art generators, basically. And so she put in the word Brando and. Then she did like what's called like a reverse weight prompt, which is like sort of would show the opposite of Brando. So then it, it gave her this weird, bizarre little combination of letters. So then yeah. she puts that in and then it starts showing this like it, it kind of re- keeps recycling this character that there's clearly something going on. It's clearly like pulling from somewhere. But the odd thing is, is like, you know, and you you look at all of the. Uh, like the the quote unquote experts on this stuff, which it, it's so above my pay grade. Like I, I can't totally wrap my head around. It. But basically, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, it feels like you know Cro Magnon fire experts. Oh, yeah. so you know what I mean? It's like, oh, fire, do this. It's like you have no <laughs> idea what fire is doing and how it actually works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But but they say it's it is a literal impossibility that this thing would be generating this same character, and so it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And so this, you know, you you go and you put in the prompt like Loab or Lobe, however it's pronounced, and it keeps showing up. And like what's weird is as it has gone along, it gets more and more gruesome. First, it was just this sort of old lady who was really creepy who had like sort of these red triangle sort of rosacea type patterns on her face. And as it's gone along, it's like these super gruesome picture her her with like dead children and like all this crazy stuff and so all that to say that that's fascinating on its own but the thing that I think is really fascinating is the idea that is this just 
the same thing as Zozo communicating through a Ouija board. <laughs> right, right. Or 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 I am Legion speaking mm-hmm. through or we're Legion speaking through, you know, like the a pig the, farmer or whatever he was. Yeah. The pig farmer, yeah, right, yeah. in the Bible. It's like what's happening here? And and is is has the internet or, you know, whatever we want to call it, the digital realm, quote unquote, has has that just become like another another way of communicating or living in just like another vessel for whatever these things are, whether well, demons or whatever? You know, I think that's one possibility. I think there are a ton of different possibilities on the table. So that's obviously one which I resonate with quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I would have to know a little bit more about the program. I, I, I wonder if these things... This, these artificial intelligence image generators aren't sort of self-reinforcing after a while. Mm-hmm. So in other words, people like get these images and enough people, I don't know, may, maybe it is chance that the first 10 people get that result, mm-hmm. but they all post about it. Yeah. And, and then, then that it, yeah, makes it, it I think now they are. The next, and well, that makes it more likely on each subsequent iteration to say, oh, this is what people associate with this word. Right. So, you know, I wonder mm-hmm. if that might be at play. And that's not a fun, fun answer, I know, but like, <laughs> um, you know, I think that that tulpas and, and egregores are real things. I don't know. You know that whole Alexander David Neal thing. I think gets <sighs> that whole idea of tulpa that sort of is birthed out of that. I think it's it's a it's a great story. It's an interesting story. I think it's an idea worth playing with. But like, there aren't a lot of of resources on the actual tradition of tulpas, and I kind of wonder if it's not. If that, if the way that we have come to think of tulpas is not a Western misinterpretation of something else that these Buddhist traditions were trying to get at, right? right. I, so, I, so you, because I guess the main one is the, and I can't think of her name. Yeah, Alexander um, David Neal. Oh, oh, that okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's she, exactly. she invented. A, she, she thought of a monk and invented a monk, and it got out right. of her control. You know, and that was the end of the monk. The monk. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> a little animal fair for everyone. There you go. But you know, I, I had I, can't, I wish I could remember who told me this, and I wish I could remember. But I had a friend of mine said that, said that they had spoken to a paranormal researcher who managed to secure one on one time with a highly placed uh, Tibetan Buddhist practitioner mm-hmm. i don't know if it was a llama or a priest or whatever but somebody who like mm-hmm. should know their should know their stuff right and they got in there and they you know sort of warmed up and asked you know spiritual questions but the question that they really wanted to ask was like can you tell me more about tulpas right. and so like, the, the time comes when this paranormal researcher and again this sounds so vague and i realize that but but the time we comes do it all this, the time the, yeah, the time comes when this paranormal <laughs> researcher finally like broaches that topic and you know the translators there and translate, and and the and the the llama looks at the researcher and goes, "Huh?" <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, I wonder if it's just like a, a small sect, or you know, we, we tend to think of it like this this story, gigantic tradition yeah. in Buddhism, where this is a thing right. that would happen often. I just don't know if it's, I don't know. So, at the same yeah. time, like you know, you hear stories like uh, Alan Moore running into Constantine, and uh, yeah, Neil, there you go. Neil Gaiman, I think, ran into what was it, Death or Asmodeus or something, or. Mm-hmm. Or I, I think that the best it was Corinzon, maybe I can't remember. But anyway, you know, I I think the best one is the and I can't think of his name, but the the author of, or the maybe artist and writer uh, that did the shadow. Yes, yeah, uh, Walter mm-hmm. Gibson, yeah, yeah, Walter Gibson. That's right. Well, and then you've got the Philip experiment, uh, you know, and you've got mm-hmm. we talk about this stuff all the time. <laughs> 
yeah, and, and then you've got, and then if you look, if you pull back and look more broadly, um, you know, you've got folks like Jeff Kripal saying that the paranormal is a story waking up to its author, and you've got folks like Whitley mm. Strieber who, like, arguably wrote himself right into metafiction like you know he was writing about spooky things and then his life became a spooky thing yeah, <laughs> yeah then right. you've got paranormal researchers who find themselves trying to view this stuff objectively and then find their lives littered with paranormal phenomena doesn't happen mm-hmm. to me that often maybe i should be glad mm-hmm. about that but yeah. but still like there does seem to be some sort of interplay between creator and creation and observer that i think is worth exploring so that's option yeah. number two <laughs> <laughs> option number three is one that i find really fascinating and it's one that sort of puts me in the mindset of uh a conversation I had a while back with uh, Miguel Romero, Red Pill Junkie, a good friend of mine. Oh, and yeah. his argument was that, like, perhaps artificial intelligence won't arise because we have obtained the philosopher's stone of complexity with technology, but rather that artificial intelligence would arise because any sufficiently complex system will become aware. And what he means by oh, that right. is, like, it just, it, like, attracts consciousness to it you know mm-hmm. which kind of uh not only explains our own brains and whatnot but also would explain things like, like how ecosystems seem to be self-regulating and seem to be <laughs> seem to act with a purpose you know yeah. um the idea that just, just if you make something complex enough and interconnected enough and if you give it the building blocks if if, if you if you fertilize the field <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah. um enough then it'll come in it's like you know uh the lightning bolt for for frank for frankenstein's monster to become animated like consciousness just comes into that thing yeah. yeah right and that might be maybe is what we're seeing too i don't know i mean there's a lot of different options it's it's unsettling and it's i kind of i mean obviously i don't love it because it's, it's because it is creepy but i also kind of love it because man we are at a real deficit for for new paranormal myths and i say myths in the most charitable way possible you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but like we, we really need more, like it seems like you know the 70s and 80s was popping off with all sorts of weird stuff and oh, it seems yeah. like a lot of the weirdness now is just like blurry videos and mm. yeah i know yeah i know and, and what's funny uh, well i say funny but it's actually it is frustrating where you know i feel like the most interesting things that we've covered on the show you know we're coming up on our I don't know, 110th episode, maybe this episode yeah. actually, but you know, it, it it's discovering these things that are old. That yeah. It's not new things like Sam, the Sandown clown was from, you know, 73. And you're right. I mean, I, I do feel like there is some, some blurring of the lines with, you know, some creepypasta stuff, but I don't know to me, to me, a lot of that is hard to, it's hard to jump on board because it just seems so like, oh, well, this is clearly something that somebody would expect to come up with. You know what I mean? Well, and to bring us back, I mean, you know, I looked into Krampus recently and like not not a lot, if any, Krampus sightings that have been vetted. But at the same time, mm. I'm not discounting that as a possibility because I think that especially if we play a role in how these things manifest, like it's yeah. completely right. possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of terrifying and on multiple levels it's like if we have the power to create something like this as an individual that other people can experience i mean that's terrifying in in its own sense you know well and you know i mean i've I've never been a big fan of this idea that you read in scripture about like you know if you um commit adultery in your mind it's as bad as committing adultery for real but it really does kind of speak to that doesn't it yeah Mm -hmm. man yeah I got some praying to do, man. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. We all do. We all yeah. do. Oh, yeah. We'll return after these messages. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian, or a vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Well, Joshua, this has been amazing. And I I hate to, uh, I hate for it to come to an end, but, uh, you know, is there anything else that you want to get into? Well, this is not the this is the first, not the last of our conversations. Nice. Um, I hope so, man. Yeah, I mean, I know. I think I think we uh, we uh, we scratched the surface of ecology of souls a little bit, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as news, I'm just you know overextended and overcommitted to doing things, <laughs> but it's the way it always goes. Yeah, oh, Mardi yeah. Gras around the corner, so I'm trying to brace myself for that. Mm. So, so not to like totally get back into the music side, but what does that look like for you as far as, you know, a whole, I mean, is it like a weekly or like a week long thing? It's it's a month long thing. You know, I mean, people will, well, because, you know, you you get these communities and like, I mean, heck this happened during Oktoberfest. It's like, Oh, well we wanted to have, you know, at a brewery or something. We wanted to have our Oktoberfest on this date, but the other brewery across town is having it on that date too. So we (laughs) want to try to spread it. So, you know, it just turns out being a, yeah. A full month long thing. Um, wow. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is like three gigs in one day, which I I have two God given talents. You know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about my quality as a writer or my quality as a musician, but two things that I seem to do that I constantly get, I constantly hear compliments on. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just do it. Uh, the first one is that I write really fast, but I don't like write really fast in a sloppy way. Like I write really fast in a, a way that like is, is passable for a first draft, right? Right. Yeah, and right. then the other thing is that I just have stupid good stamina at at playing tuba. You know, um, that's, that's awesome, awesome man. Because you know, in this, especially in the New Orleans brass band stuff, which is most of what I do, it's just like three solid hours of playing. Like you know, everybody else gets a break, and somebody takes a solo, and this and that, whatever you know. But for me, it's just like and go <laughs> and like for that for that for, the, for those forty five minute sets, like you do not stop. Like you might get like ninety seconds between tunes, and that's about it. Wow! So, wow! Yeah, yeah I, I've never thought about that. But I mean, you do. You know, when you think of like like that New Orleans kind of brass feel, you think of you know these dudes in like suits and just like like sweating bullets. Mm. You know, well, I mean, we were so very cool. for, fortunate when we toured uh, in New Orleans. We spent just hours just walking around the streets and just listening to these yeah. amazing brass bands. Amazing. Well, you um, know, it's, it, the, the, the trad stuff isn't that bad because, like, you know, if, if I get too tired, I can just fall on one and three, you know. Bup, 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 <laughs> bup, 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 bup. But like with the brass band stuff, it's like, you know... But you just repeat that over like the runs. entire course of the song. And it's just like, I've got to find a place to breathe. But, you know, for whatever reason, I just, you know, maybe I just, maybe I don't have as much lactic acid in my <laughs> in my lips or something. But <laughs> so, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll pull a couple of double and triple, triple headers and I won't see my family for, <laughs> for a month, basically. But, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Man, that's awesome. Well, it has been a real pleasure. And uh, you, 
you know, you just agreed that you're going to be our monthly correspondent. So that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> if, I can, if I can make it happen, this last week I was coming off the holidays or off of Thanksgiving rather, and it was, I was just slammed. But I've got some, some, oh, some yeah. projects are coming to a close and some projects are uh, just ramping up. And so I, I, I feel like I'm, I should be able to reach an equilibrium in the new year. So we'll see. Maybe, Man, maybe, maybe great. a buy or maybe a quarterly correspondent. I love it. Buy monthly or quarterly. Yeah. Now I, d- I did see something yeah. uh, when I was looking at your background, something about, I guess maybe it's coming out in 2023, like a Bigfoot documentary that you and Timothy are, have something to do with. Uh, yeah. It's uh, oh, I, be- I believe in Bigfoot. I believe in Bigfoot. I believe yeah. in Bigfoot. And, uh, I'm 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 gonna be in it. Tim's gonna be in it. Like Ron Moorhead's in it. Um, Dave Picard oh, cool. from, from the Bigfoot Museum appears in it. Turtle Man's in it. I think he's a filmmaker out of Atlanta, and I've gotten to know him pretty well. In fact, a week ago, this past Saturday, I was up at a I was doing some Bigfoot hunting in uh, North Carolina. Oh, cool! Because as it turns out, one of the documentarians' uh, research sites is like 45 minutes from my from where I grew up. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, nice. Um, but I tell you what, man, like not a not a damn thing happened. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was talking with some of the researchers who were at that site. Some of these people who were like, you know, there's something strange about Bigfoot, but mm-hmm. are very much, you know, we'll still talk about dermal ridges and mid-tarsal breaks and like primate oh, yeah. anatomy, but like they're like, something's weird here. Yeah. And they said like, you know, this used to be one of the most active sites that we would go to. But as soon as the owner put up all these trail cams, it just there you go. Yep. See, yeah. it's 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 that cosmic protocol, that trickster thing. Yeah, if you've got a Bigfoot infestation, throw up floodlights and, and trail cams, and it'll go away. <laughs> and then they're yeah, never so, there again. So I was out there from uh, three in the afternoon until about one thirty or two in the morning, and hmm. nothing happened. Nothing. Yeah. And you know, well, I, I'm still going to hold you to us one of these days going up to where I used to live because I would see these orbs all uh, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk, talk about it as soon as we uh, stop recording. We're going to talk yeah. about that because <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's one thing. And like, you know, I'll readily admit I have sort of a deficit of field work. And, you know, I, I don't think that that necessarily diminishes what I do. I mean, there are plenty of astronomers who have never been in a spaceship, right. <laughs> never been in yeah. a space shuttle. Right. Like that's not, you know, mm-hmm. we need people on the ground analyzing this stuff too. Or people back home analyzing this stuff, but armchair researchers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would like to to get out and see some more things because it's it's been a while since my experiential cup has been filled. Let's put it that way. Mm, man, I like it, dude. Okay, but before we go, uh, we have like a series of questions that kind of I like, love it. Think of it like a rapid fire question. It's like a this or that type thing that we um, that we like to give folks. I mean, you're actually technically our Second guest ever, so Second now guess. we have two sets of these questions done. But I, I kind of, <laughs> yeah. uh, usually it's, the first one is, you know, what's your favorite 80s horror movie? But since it's Christmas, we'll just go with the first question. We're going to get started now. What is your favorite Christmas movie from your childhood? My favorite Christmas movie from my childhood. Like one that you had to year. pop in and watch every single time. I know that's tough. I mean, it's it's a wonderful life, you know. Um mm-hmm. Although uh, I, I want to, I do want to say that I've rediscovered um, something from my my childhood that is a lot weirder than I remembered it, and I think everybody who's interested in these topics should look look up. It's uh, you guys remember the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus? No, no. It was a it was a 
was it Saul? Not Saul Bass. That's the <laughs> that's the model. What is it? Um, <laughs> oh, you're, you're Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass. Yeah, not Saul yeah. Bass. It's a Rankin Bass um, story based on an L. Frank Baum like novella oh, or short wow. story, and it is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. It's that like, sounds amazing. It's like Rudolf Steiner wrote. Uh, Santa Claus story. It's wow. like there are these like the council of elder elementals who decide whether or not Santa Claus should be granted immortality. And I remember watching <laughs> oh, it as a amazing. kid. And I'm like, now that I'm older and I can sort of see, you know, right. you get into these things and you start to see what people are actually talking about and whatnot, and uh, mm-hmm. or whether what the influences they're drawing on. And man, it is a trip. It is a trip to watch. Wow, man, that we'll check amazing. that out. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. All right. Next, uh, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? Now, it can be one that, you know, perhaps was, uh, you know, <laughs> like my, mine was um, Everything I Do, I Do It For You mm-hmm. from the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves soundtrack. Growing up, that was just like one of those that I would put on mixtapes that I gave to every girl kind of thing. But do you have one that, you know, that, that comes to mind? Well, my, my, my guilty my guilty uh, pleasure listening is usually stuff that, I kind of find abhorrent personally. So <laughs> <Yeah>. like, uh, <laughs> so I'd have to say, uh, the, the catalog of the bloodhound gang. Oh, <laughs> nice. oh yeah. I, like, I just can't like, it's, it's like the broiest, grossest, misogynistic mm-hmm. yeah. stuff, but <laughs> some of it's so damn catchy. I just have to listen to it every now and then and just be like, <laughs> "That's cool." You know, separate the art from the artist. And just, yeah, just, yeah. just roll with this. Yeah, that's amazing. And this is probably going to be the hardest question, and I saved it for third. Your favorite cryptid creature? Oh man. Well, um, I have two. Well, no, I I know what it is. It's it's the Nandy Bear. Nandy Bear. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a deep cut. Um, wow. Is man. this like? bear from uh, like sub-Saharan Africa that appears in a couple of like early white accounts. And there are some stories that a lot of the tribes had. Um, you know that Bob Gimlin guy, G-Y-M-L-E-N guy on YouTube? No. He does like illustrated, he does like illustrated versions. He has put together probably the most comprehensive um, Nandy bear review online. Oh. And it's, it's fascinating because it's like, you know, bears aren't in Africa but yeah, there are people who right. are describing things like bears and people have said, well, is this, you know, uh, again, um, cryptozoologists love materialist explanations as long as they retain a hint of exoticism, right? right. So it's, oh, yeah. So it's like, well, maybe it's, you know, it's a it's a relic, uh, you know, Pleistocene mammal or something and all this stuff. But it's this weird story of this like hyena-bear hybrid that was seen wow. at the time that the railroads were being built across Africa. And the tribes were like, yeah, we've got those in there. But but I there's plenty of stories in that 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 YouTube series that were I think it's just one video maybe that I had never heard before. So some really good research wow. on that. Um, well, you know what the real reason? I mean, I can already tell you, which is very common, is uh, there was a circus going through there, and it escaped from the circus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then everyone, or it was a mass hallucination, yeah, or mass hallucination, mass hallucination, or or a circus, or or my favorite one from the other side, from the true believer side, is like, well, hyenas and bears. Mated, and they oh, produce right. the hyena bear offspring. <laughs> right, that's right, my favorite. Right. It's like the, uh, the the Honey Island Swamp Monster. It's like there was a circus train that that you know that, that overturned. It's like oh, okay, circus train. People oh, are seeing chimps. Are like, and then the chimps had sex with the gators, and it's like no, it's not. Our <laughs> like you lost me. Our, edu- our education system is broken. If you yeah, think yeah, <laughs> boy. Nintendo or Sega? PlayStation. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay. guys. 
Okay. Uh, I, I didn't. I actually was just a PC gamer growing up. I wasn't allowed to have consoles in the house. Yeah, we actually talked about that recently. Like, I was kind of behind the curve on the on the consoles and stuff. And and yeah, I had a lot of PC games. Um, World of Warc- or World of Warcraft later, but like Leisure Suit Dune Larry. Two. Um, I don't know if you ever got into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you have now? I have basically a console that plays Super Nintendo, regular NES, nice, and Sega. Nice. But no, I don't have anything. Uh, my son's got a Nintendo Switch, but I have okay. a PS4. Yeah. So I so I can't talk to you about my favorite uh, my favorite video game. Okay. Well, you, no, you no, no, can because this will be great fuel for me to like tell my wife. You know, listen, I need to get this video game. It's uh, it's for the, <laughs> the podcast. The, the best video game that I've ever played in my life. Because, you know, usually I, I play video games as, like, a, a way to listen to podcasts. Yeah, right. the plots on, on AAA games nowadays are just so circuitous. And just, <laughs> yeah. They're so hard to follow, honestly. All these side quests and stuff. So, but this one, like, every time every time I've replayed it, and I've replayed it the most I've ever replayed a game. I've played it probably four or five times. Every time I replay it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this and listen to podcasts. And every time I turn off the podcast, it was started out as a PlayStation exclusive, and now it's on Windows, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. Is uh, it's It's got an awful title. It's called Hellblade Sinua's Sacrifice. Mm. Um, but it is like Ecology of Souls, the video game. Um, so many of the Dude. motifs that I talk about are in there. It's about this um, this uh, Celtic in, in in the game that they developed it with mental health professionals, and in the game she's supposedly schizophrenic, and you have your headphones on and you hear different whispers in both ears. But like, oh, it's borderline oh. offensive that they say that because you, you play the game and it's like, no, she's a shaman. She's not she's right. not schizophrenic. She's just a shaman because like you're even like part of the game is to see things in the landscape and line them up to unlock certain things. But so she's a, a Celtic shaman who um, is taking her uh, dead lover's head back to the Norse underworld to retrieve him. Whoa. And it has one of, it. it has one of the most counterintuitive ways to win, quote unquote, win the game that I've ever seen. And wow. it's music wow. and design and like themes are just top to bottom fantastic. And it's sort of, it, it was designed as like an easily digestible um, game. So it's like a four or five hour game, um, but with like that triple A aesthetic. And it's, it's, it's a, ma- awesome. it is a masterpiece. Yeah. I love it. I want to go play it right now. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you ever have a chance? Did you ever play uh, Bioshock Infinite? I did. That was one that I played over and over and over because it was just genius. I yeah, I, got, I was late to the party. I probably I think I played Bioshock all the Bioshock series for the first time like one or two years ago. So mm, so mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm way the, I'm way late to the party. I've never played any of them. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating because like you know I think video games deserve to be viewed as a as a respectable medium. Mm, uh, I agree, yeah. But so often they shoot themselves in the foot, you know. I mean, like, I'm not saying that, obviously I have a soft spot for juvenile humor. I just admitted <laughs> publicly yeah. that I sometimes listen to Bloodhound King. <laughs> so, like, I, I, can't throw any, I can't throw any stones here. But, like, so often it's just, like, video games just really shoot themselves in the foot with not taking their themes seriously or sometimes taking them too seriously and tr- striking that balance is hard. Um, yeah, and, you know, the Bioshock series, I think, was one that really straddled that line pretty well um, and had a lot to say. This this is more in, the, in line with, like, you know, whenever you were a kid growing up, were you more of, like, a Nike or Reebok kind of guy? Uh, man, I have never given two shits about what I wear. <laughs> yeah, it's so uh, yeah. funny. When I was a kid, so, you know, living overseas, so I, I grew up in Jakarta, Indonesia, um, again, my dad's oh, wow. job took us there and I and went to an international school and stuff. And the only thing that I ever remember just really wanting in terms of shoes 
was Doc Martens, you know, and and oh yeah, and that was it. I mean, everyone there, everything was so hard to come by. You'd have to come back to the states and buy things. You couldn't find anything over there, and so. As a kid, it kind of trained me to, like, who cares? You, you, that stuff doesn't really matter. And then whenever I moved back to the States, it was like, you know, in the era of Abercrombie and Fitch. And it was kind of like, oh, wait, brand matters uh, to some <laughs> yeah, people? I, mean, like, I don't. The, well, the only brand loyalty that I had, and I'm, it's like, you guys are getting me to admit all sorts of embarrassing stuff. Um, <laughs> the, the only brand it. loyalty that I had in, like, high school was to uh, Jimmy Buffett's line of clothing called Caribbean Soul. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. I love the, I love the, I mean, the artwork is really fantastic on those shirts, but I was, I was something of a, of a parent head in, in high school and I eventually grew out of that, thankfully. You know, I, I um, was, I, I have, I was actually, uh, I have a soft spot for Jimmy Buffett because we would, my family would go to the Keys every year and once we crossed over the big bridge, the only thing we would listen to the whole time we were there was, was Jimmy Buffett. Awesome. And uh, so like A Pirate Looks at 40 and and son of a son of a sailor, it, like those are, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, it is so great. Well, you know, some of those, some of those like second tier Buffett songs right. actually have some really um, charming turns of phrase. And yeah. I would argue that when I was into Jimmy Buffett, you know, in the late eighties and early two thousands, like mm-hmm. you looked at that band and it was like a fifteen person band. Mm. Oh yeah, and there and were Coral so many different, yeah, and there were so many different colors he was able to play with. Like you know, he had yep. pedal steel and he had a harmonica player and a steel drum player and a horn section yeah. and you know a an auxiliary percussion guy and a piano player. It was just like, you know, it was just it was a lot of different colors, which I just thought was really, you know, appealing. So I I've always looked at him as and the band as sort of like the Caribbean version of like when Paul Simon made Graceland mm. with like mm. the South mm-hmm. African mm-hmm. band. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, his his output I don't think has been especially remarkable since like maybe Beach House on the Moon. But um, Right. But, uh, and, and, and yeah, it's it's there's some good stuff in there to find. It's just that, you you know, and like I have a soft spot for Margaritaville, the cheeseburger in paradise. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be, yeah. I'm not going to be too, uh, too highfalutin here. Yeah, but, I, mean, um, I think even if you're not a Jimmy Buffett fan, like those those songs, a lot of his songs actually are pretty undeniable. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. just, yeah, yeah, they're so good. Okay, last question for you. And this this is one that I wanted to ask right after we started talking about video games and stuff. But have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I have not. You know, I grew up in the I grew up in the the mazes and monsters kind of yeah, <laughs> kind of climate. Panic, panic. And uh, so I so I avoided it for a long time. And now, as 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 role playing games have become more normalized, you know, normalized whatever that means, um, <laughs> I I feel a draw towards it. But right now, it's just a matter of finding the time, time. to do it. Yep. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? I understand completely. So yeah. I would, I would love to, and maybe like in my retirement, I'll be the world's oldest first, uh, first time D and D player. You know? Yeah. Well, we uh, we try to play regularly, I, and that turns out to end up being like about once a month. Mm-hmm. But it is something that, just like in my childhood, uh, my parents are very conservative and. You know, during the sort of "quote unquote" satanic panic of the '80s, you know, the mention of that kind of thing was just no, 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 evil, evil. So, well, I, yeah, you know, the, the, the landscape was such that you couldn't like go out and find out about it yourself. Like you were right, just right. You just had a hose of the media shoved down your throat that mm-hmm. was that was yeah. platforming things like you know people on her people on Donahue talking about how yeah. their child turned into <laughs> oh, a satanist yeah. after playing D and D. You're like, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. 
Um, and so I've only recently kind of got into it over the last couple of years. And it's, man, it's a lot of fun, especially if, you know, you kind of put together a group with friends and stuff. And obviously, I, hopefully this goes without saying, but if you ever want to dive in, Tyler and I both are absolutely mm-hmm. happy to run a run a game and uh, it would be... And you can do it all, all online. Yeah, too. you can do it online. That, yeah, that would be so much fun. That would be yeah. so much I appreciate the invitation, guys. I'll, I'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm, I have this lingering fear that life is indeed like a meme that I saw, which was once you get to a, adulthood, life is just saying next week will calm down over and oh, over yes. again. Oh, yeah. It's like, and, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, and my, let's see, my youngest is six and my oldest is 10. And I'll say that around like b- between the ages of like one and about five, it it just, it's like, uh, and, and in different ways it becomes more and more busy. But the the good thing too that comes with that is you can then sort of incorporate them into these fun things that you like to do as well. And and then it becomes like an, an even more sort of meaningful experience, you know, as a dad and stuff. And and so they're now, especially my 10 year old is, is now um, old enough to kind of share some, I can show them some funny old 80s movies and we can play video games together and we can, you know, talk about music more meaningfully. And um, it's, it's just awesome, man. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, well, you know, man, this, this whole podcast was basically started as a way for Woody and I to have something to be able to leave for our kids to listen to. You know, it's like for just the, we, we just kept going back to this idea that like, imagine how cool it would be to be able to listen to your parents talking with their best friends about, you know, all kinds of bizarre things. Mm-hmm. It would just be really cool. And so, you know, it was kind of started for posterity's sake and, uh, you know, just two best friends. And I got to say, Josh, you know, this being the first time that we've ever really been able to like talk and and kind of hang out, like you fit right in. Yeah, it's been well, I appreciate been it. Great. I appreciate it. It's been you know, sometimes you do these and it's like pulling teeth with people. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just, they don't get what you're trying to say or, you know, you can't get past like, you know, well, where the aliens are coming, where are the aliens coming from? You know, it's like, <laughs> right. uh, well, you know, you roll up your sleeves and do the best you can. But uh, no, this yeah. has been a great time. Awesome. Before you go, one, what's the best way for people to find you? And Yeah, so my website is joshuacutchin.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com, just like a cut on your chin. Only one chin, though, not Cutchins. Mm. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter because Twitter... Yep, I, I left Twitter like ages ago, and mm-hmm. it was the best thing I've done for same. my mental health. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, my new book is Ecology of Souls. It's a two-parter, but it's a little bit confusing. Uh, it's a two-parter with a third book that is a companion that has the appendices, in notes, and bibliography. But those are also available freely on my website because if you buy the, the two books, um, I don't think that you should have to – page for the endnotes. So uh, you can pick up physical copies of those. If you want a physical copy of the endnotes, that's available as well. But uh, volumes one and two are also combined into a Kindle. So that's definitely the, nice. the most oh, cost awesome. o- that's the most cost effective way to go. And you can, uh, as, as long as supplies last, you can uh, pick up a, uh, a set from me as well at a discount, a physical set. Signed. Nice. So and I did see Mike Cleland's name. Is that the Mike Cleland? Yeah. The owl, yeah, Mike's, owl guy? Mike's a great friend of mine. He is a awesome. fantastic human being, and he helped with the layout of, of the book. Yep. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's incredible. Cool. Yeah, we we really appreciate it. We had a blast, and I think this turned out to be 
as good of a Christmas special as any. And uh, we're just we're just elated to uh, to finally have Joshua Cutchin on. If you want to find us, we're over at Instagram. Feel free to, to shoot us a DM or jump in the comment section. We have like a, a nice growing little family there. If you want to tell us about local legends or urban legends or your own personal ghost story, shoot it over to that would be radpod at gmail.com. And if you want to, if you want us to air you actually telling the story, uh, you can shoot us a voice memo there. Or you can go to our new website, that would be radpodcast.com, and uh, record it straight onto there. Tell one single friend about the show. It, uh, it you know, makes a world of difference. Uh, give us some five-star reviews. Buy some merch on our link tree on Instagram. And uh, I guess that's about it. Anything else, Woody? Well, I was just going to say that we hope each and every one of you listening, and you too, Josh, <laughs> have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from all of us to you. Yeah. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it
granted. All right. Man, this was great. Yeah, it was, good. was, it was awesome. a good time. When are we going to go up to Helen? Uh, whenever you want. Um, <laughs> if it's anything like it was when we were seeing these orbs, I mean, on a weekly basis, like, I'm pretty sure we can capture something. And the, that the, would be rad. Yeah. <laughs> it would nice. be rad, Joshua. Yeah. This has been a real pleasure, man. I, I kid you not. Yeah. It's, well, I've been listening to you since probably your first episode talking about uh, a Trojan feast, and you've been just like one of the top guys, uh, you know, in this world for me. So, well, I really appreciate it, man. This was a, this was a ton of fun, and uh, it's always humbling to talk to someone who's been following me as long as someone like you has. So, <laughs> one dude, I I, forget, I can't believe I forgot to bring this up. The first time he. Uh, Tyler kind of forwarded me an episode or something to listen to you on. I called him immediately and I said, hey, man, are you messing with me? Like, you sound exactly like one of our buddies. His name's Jeff. Jeffrey, Morris, yeah. yeah. And he he, he, <laughs> owns really? this, he owns this restaurant in Clarksville called The Copper Pot because he's this huge uh, Goonies fan. But nice. I, I'm not even joking. Your voices sound exactly yeah. the same. And so the first time I heard you, I was like, dude, that's Jeff, man. Come on. Yeah. You know? That's that's better than what I usually hear. I usually hear I um I look like Kevin James and sound like James Spader, which <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks y'all. This has been a blast. Thank you, man. It's been right, awesome. nice talking to you both. Bye. I you too. Bye. See you, Josh.